Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Burhani from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Welcome to our podcasts. Today, we were going to talk about the impact of body language cues on dog training. We wanted to talk a little bit about how what you do when you're telling your dog to do something can change the outcome of the response that you get. Because the majority of the time when you're trying to give your dog a cue, your dog is taking the information that you're giving him, not mostly from the word that you're using, but actually from your voice inflection, which we'll talk about, and also how you cue them with your body language. Right, and most people don't realize that. Most people don't realize that the dog is picking up more on your body language than your verbal cue, and that's because we're such a verbal species. Right, and dogs, on the other hand, if you watch them and the way that they uh, communicate with one another, a tremendous amount of what they do with each other is, of the information that's exchanged between them, is done through body language. Right, they're communicating all the time with each other. Just two dogs walking past each other, there's some communication that went on there that you just probably didn't even notice. Well, we do. We I do. Mean, the, the nice thing is... Uh, you, I, think, I didn't point my finger at you and say you specifically, because <laughs> well, I know no, no, you no. do. Well, no, 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 but that's what I'm saying. Unless you become really aware of it, and mm-hmm. unless you start paying attention, and hopefully after somebody listens to this, right. that they'll start realizing that if they start to pay attention, there's a tremendous amount of information that you can glean, not only from their body language, but there's a tremendous amount of information that you can send out with your own body language. So, what are common ones that you can think of, or am I putting you on the spot? Well, no, no, no. You so, go, girl. I, I have a really cute example. This this is not a typical sit, stay, downhill, come command, but it's like for circle. Mm-hmm. We have a mutual friend who taught her dog to, except uh, she says spin. She thought that her dog had spin on a verbal cue only. And she showed me, and I went, it's not verbal. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, you're tilting your head to the right, side. Sure. And it was only like a quarter of an inch. It was just the tiniest little, the tiniest little head movement. Yeah. And she says, nah And I said, yeah. So she did it again, and this time she didn't say the word. She just moved her head a little bit, and sure enough, her dog went around in a circle. Took off, yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I my dogs also definitely take uh, a lot of body language cues for that particular command. Right. And especially for the direction. Because I teach circle and spin, but in I reality, it's, it's absolutely has to do with the other things that I do with my body that tells them which direction they're going into. I, one of them has it by yeah. by. By cues, yeah. but a more typical example it would be when you teach your dog to sit, and the people who have originally taught their dog to sit by doing a lure, right. by taking the dog food, by taking a piece of treat and holding up the dog's nose, raising it up to tell the dog to sit. So they bring the dog up, the dog's nose up, and the dog's rear end goes to the ground. And eventually, if you watch them, they do their sit by lifting their hand in the air, by waving their hand up towards their faces. And the reason for that is that the dog is most of the time taking the cue of the hand signal over... And that's what he's going to learn first. Right. But there are other body language cues that you give your dog that you don't realize. One of my favorites is people who call their dogs, but they lean over to call their dogs. Your voice is saying, come. Your body is saying, run away. (laughs) Stay, stay far, far away. That's right. Most people don't realize that when you lean down towards your dog... You're stopping him. Absolutely, you're you're putting pressure. It's yeah. it's pressure to push, and you're pushing them away from you. It's even worse when you stick your hands out. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, a way that some people start to teach a recall is that they call the dogs to them and they stand 
upright mm -hmm. and they open their arms to the side mm -hmm. not towards the dog and that can actually get a dog to come in but the best way of course to teach your dog a recall is to try to avoid as many body language cues as you can right except at the very beginning when you're first just trying to inspire the dog to come in and that doesn't mean that you can't retrain your dog like that you leaning down leaning over not down because crouching down can be a cue can, can get them to come in it's body language that says come here because we're making ourselves small but leaning forward you you can teach them that leaning forward when you call them can get them to come to you mm -hmm. but you're swimming upstream if you do it that way right another one a really good one for stay is when somebody cues a dog to stay but then they stand crouched over the dog guarding the dog lest the dog should get up most of the time what this conveys to the dog it's actually there's two, it's twofold i think one of them is it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure that you're putting on your dog. The other and thing you're making is, the dog uncomfortable. Most of the time you can see by the dog's body language that that's what yes. you're doing. And then even with a dog that isn't uncomfortable in that set of circumstances, what you're doing is basically conveying to them that you don't feel you have control, that right. you don't believe that they are going to stay, that you are feeling powerless to make them stay. Therefore, you have to do this elaborate body language to try to make this happen. When you're teaching a dog to stay and you do that very elaborate body language, what you do is you create a situation where if you don't hit the exact pose <laughs> every single time <laughs> that you have a dog that now thinks this day doesn't mean anything right and after a while your back is going to start to hurt you're going to want to stand up mm -hmm. and as soon as you stand up you're pulling the dog with you or if somebody speaks to you or you try to speak to somebody else or you're trying to look at something i mean most of the time when we put our dogs in a stay we are doing it for a reason and it's because we want to do something look at something or something's going on and so as soon as you shift a little bit your dog then takes that as the body language cue to move that is another great one the release when you, you have a dog in a stay no wait but let me right. get there okay. when you have a dog in a stay okay. I'll let and you you're go. Gonna <laughs> and you're going to do a release and I teach people when you're doing the release don't move or if you're going to move make it a movement that you are going to dedicate to that particular thing so I know that you don't use the release word okay, but I do. But mm -hmm. whatever release word you, you use, if you're going to couple it with something, make sure that you couple it with something beyond just moving. A lot of people will put their dog in a stay. They'll stand stock still. Right. They'll release the dog. They'll release the dog by moving. Very quickly, the dog says, ah, Movement I get the game. means I can go. I get the game. We freeze. Right. And then we move. <laughs> and then, and that brings up a really good point because when you put your dog in a stay, you're probably not also going to be frozen. No. You want to go off and do something else while your dog is in a stay. No, the point so of teaching is stay, right. It's so that you can then move around. And right. if you teach it that way, then as soon as you move, your dog is going to go, oh, we're moving. Because even though you didn't say the verbal release, your body language has released them. And this brings up the point that I was going to make is that one time when I was running agility and I was running, it was the Grand Prix, I think, mm -hmm. which is a really important one. And I'm running and I put my dog up on the table and I tell him to down and I tell him to stay. And then I sidestep and turn around to see where I'm going next and to adjust myself so I'm going in the right direction. And he comes off the table. And he's a hound and the judge happened to be a foxhound enthusiast and... You know, I pulled him off, which disqualified him because this is the Grand Prix. See, I just said I pulled him off mm -hmm. at the time. I would have sworn to you I didn't. You were upset he with was, him. Right. W yeah, you know, it was his fault because he wasn't paying attention. Right. And at the end of that run, that judge actually came up to me and said, you pulled your dog off the table. That wasn't his fault. You pulled him off the table. And I'm going, thank you. Nuh-uh. <laughs> And I did not. Anyway. I did not. But guess what? A friend <laughs> yes. of mine was videotaping yeah. it. Yeah. I went back and watched it. it. 
I pulled him off the table. Yeah. It was not his fault. My body language said, come with me. And unless you've taught that, unless right. you, you have proof for I it. know for me, when I'm teaching a stay, I teach the dogs to stay under all different sets of circumstances. Yeah, I take jacks, off running, yeah. take off running away right. from them, drop to the ground, right. all sorts of weird things because I want them to know that a stay is a stay is a stay and it doesn't matter what the body language is. And I think that that's something that people, they get upset with their dog and mm-hmm. they think that their dog is messing up. But the truth is you have to prove for all these different things because dogs are watching your body language all yes. the time. And you'd be surprised how often you teach them that your body language means one thing. And then you expect them in a different set of circumstances to not know about that message. So a, a typical one is, I mean, this is actually probably the one that I think is the biggest bear trap to step into, mm-hmm. is the stay. The stay that is done where people teach their dog to stay and they stand there staring at their dog. And then when they release their dog, they say, okay, and they look away and they move their body. Right. And, and it's so unrealistic. Then when they want to make the step, the next step, which is now I want to use that stay as a practical thing. And I put my dog in a stay and I turn to look at somebody else and my dog leaps up and I think right. my dog's messed up. But the truth is... You think he's being stubborn. Yes. But I taught him that. Right. I'm the one who taught him that. You have to teach them. They are continuously watching what we do. And you'd be surprised how often when you're training your dog to do something, you physically get in the habit of a particular type of body movement. Mm-hmm. And you think you've taught the dog to do something on cue. And you have. But the cue for the dog is that particular body movement that you perform. And so in the absence of that, and when that tends to be absent is when you put that into a practical application and now your mind is not on going through that particular right. motion. It's not on training. Then you try to cue your dog into something and he doesn't do it and you think, oh, he's so stubborn. And, and how many times do you get this, Laura? I get this all the time from clients. I used to really get this in class. Well, he does it at home. Of course. Well, he does it when you're not here. Of course. And I'll say to them, well, that means that there's something you're doing that you're not aware of that is giving him the message that he needs to do that. So what yeah. we need to do is now start auditing what you do mm-hmm. to figure out, is there a particular set of very, can be very subtle body movements. I think that when you had mentioned during one of our podcasts about Hans, the, the clever Hans, clever the horse, Hans, right? Which was a horse around what time? What was the? Oh, it was gosh. like in the 40s or something, or the 30s. Oh no, I think it was before prior that. Prior to that, it okay. was way. Okay, yeah, it was way long, long ago. Yes, in a land far yes. away, not it too was, far away. Oh yeah, it was a ver- yeah, <laughs> England, I think. Yes, it was in England, but or Germany, Hans. It was probably Hans, yes, yes, someplace in Europe. But there was a horse that was going around the country doing, you know, people the, were the coming from all over the place because this cor- horse could do. Because he had taught him to mathematical equations, right? So the handler truly thought his horse was doing mathematical equations. Mm -hmm. And people were really into this. And finally what they started to, after studying him, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember who's, I don't remember this story as well as you do, so... But they, but they studied this, and they right. started to realize that what was happening is that the handler, in anticipation of Hans getting the answer correct, would subtly change his body. His facial expression. And so the horse would get the right answer. And what the horse was doing was picking up on that cue, that body language cue. And so since it was so subtle, and since as people we're not really tuned into things like that... Even the, even the handler didn't know that he was doing it. Right. And it could be something as simple as holding your breath. Yes. You teach your dog to stay and you hold your breath. And then you release him and then you breathe. Right. And then, like, let's say, you know, eventually you want to teach your dog to stay for longer than you can hold your breath. What happens then? 
or you just get involved in something else. I think that's mm-hmm. when it really falls apart is in practical application. When you start to give your dog a, a stay command to do something, you want to do something. There's some set of circumstances that you're, and as soon as your attention goes to that other thing, you stop doing your little niche movement that you do, your little ingrained movement, and the dog falls out of the behavior because they think, oh, it's done. Right, and it's not the dog's fault, and because you didn't realize you were even putting it in there to begin with, it's not really even your fault. Right. But it just means that you need to be much more aware of what is going on. So one of the things that you need to do is recognize that your dog takes a huge percentage of the information that he gets from you from the way that you move, from your body language. When dogs read each other, they read each other's body language. That's a gigantic part. So even though to us it seems very subtle. These cues seem really subtle to us. To the, to our dogs, I don't think they are subtle. I think it's like a shouting at each it other. It is. And he brings up a good point also in that, you know, you teach a dog something with your right hand and then one day your right hand is busy and you do the same cue with your left hand and the dog looks at you like he doesn't know what you're talking about. He doesn't know what you're talking about. You never taught that cue. It is a separate cue. When they're teaching marine mammals, they use the right hand for one thing, the left hand for another thing, and both hands for other things. Right. The, the same so, thing when you're in competition obedience. Exactly. You definitely would not use something inter- interchangeable from, right. from hand to hand. And if you're planning on it, like let's say you have a family member, most of you are right-handed, and then one of you is left-handed, you have to teach it. You have to teach it because if the left-handed person comes up and, and suddenly does it with the left hand, you don't say, oh, the dog is ignoring that person. The dog is being stubborn. The dog doesn't like that person. The dog doesn't know what you're saying. And it is what you are saying. I have a client who's ambidextrous, truly ambidextrous, never knows if she's using her right hand or her left hand. The dog does everything I tell him to do, whether it's straight verbal or with my hand cue. We taught him left things and right things. Mm -hmm. Well, so he'd work for her for her left hand because I said he knows all the cues. Because she'd say, he's not listening to me. He's not doing what I say. So I'd say, well, show me. So she shows me with her left hand. He did everything she wanted with her left hand. She went to do it with her right hand, and her cue with her right hand was nothing close to what her left hand was mm-hmm. or what even my right hand was. Mm-hmm. And she and so had no idea. She thought she was doing the same thing. So I made her stand in the mirror and practice her hand cues so that she made sure they were the same. Right. Well, you're a taskmaster. I am. <laughs> I'm going to call that client and talk to them. Let's find out what they really We well, did think. talk to her just the other day. <laughs> okay. So if you understand this, it can make your interaction with your dog a lot easier. For one thing, it, it takes some of the pressure off your dog. There's not this continuous idea that your dog is messing up. Right. You start to realize that when you have a problem with your dog, some of it may be inattention. Some of it may be that you haven't trained the behavior correctly. Some of it may just be that you don't realize that you've become very caught up in a particular body language that has conveyed a certain idea. And I have another good example. So when you're first teaching a sit, most of us start with the dog sitting in front of us. Mm -hmm. And then we take our dog for a walk. We want our dog to sit at each curb. Mm -hmm. So we get to the curb, we stop, we say sit, the dog looks up at us and goes what? Mm -hmm. Or the dog attempts to do the sit, steps out into the street so that he can sit in front of us. Mm -hmm. Because he wants to do it correctly. So he knows the word sit but I can't possibly do it unless I'm sitting in front of you. That is what sit means, sit in front of you. Yes. So unless we specifically teach that sit means sit means sit, whether you're in front of me and back of me, on the other side of the fence, I don't care. We have to specifically teach it. 
and change our body language. If you want to get your dog strictly on verbal cues, you can do it. And as a matter of fact, you and I went to the clicker seminar a couple of years in a row, and at and one of the sessions that we did with Stephen Jen White, mm-hmm. Steve took my dog, and mm-hmm. he had me hide behind a pir- pillar, and he had me give my dog some verbal cues. Thank God my little tater bug <laughs> did what he was supposed to do. But that was because prior to going to the clicker seminar, you had cued me into the idea that we yeah. were probably going to get to a place where it, they were going to test how much of your do- what your dog knows is right. actually on a verbal cue versus on a body language cue. And and the reason that I bring this up is because prior to my going there, I worked very hard on getting them on verbal cues. Because once you, you cued me into that, mm-hmm. because it wasn't really that important to me. Really, practically speaking, it wasn't that important to me. Right. There are a few things that are important to me. I want my dogs to come to me when they're called, and I want that to be strictly on a verbal because they may not be able to see me. Right. I want my dogs uh, to stay, and I want that strictly to be verbal on, on a verbal because I may not be able to cue them. I may have my hands full or whatever, and I right. need to be able to get them to stay. But as far as, and you know, you could still put body language into that if you turned and faced your dogs. My dogs will stay if I tell them to stay facing them or behind them or uh, in front of them or whatever, but that's because I worked on it. Mm-hmm. That's because I worked on it. But in this particular set of circumstances, it really made me aware of it because sit down, those things, I realized that there were some subtle body language cues that I was doing. And in fact, one of them was what you just mentioned, which mm-hmm. was getting the dog in front of me or in a particular placement most of the time I cued when he was in a particular at, at a particular Location. angle from right me. yes and so it really made me aware of it now I worked through it so that I could not look like a total fool right <laughs> not the, totally not she a wasn't to- a total no, fool. you know there are other things of course I made a fool of myself whatever that's my, my gig but but the thing is I I did that because you know, you had told me that this was something that would come up and right. that my little dog did well. And it really, even though I knew the importance it of body language. It made her look so good and it made her dog look like <laughs> such a genius. Well, my dog, I think it made my dog he, look yeah. really good, to be honest with you. Everybody really liked my dog at that at that seminar. But the thing is that it really made me aware of a couple of things that I don't, I'm very aware of the importance of body language, but I guess I had just never looked at that particular behavior in through that light before. Right. And I do. it did make me wonder, although I can't think of specific circumstances where this has happened, but it did make me wonder about the amount of times that he didn't respond to me, that I somehow felt it was his deficit rather right. than mine. Right. Because even as a seasoned trainer, even as somebody who's done this for years and years and years, we still fall into these traps on occasion. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes when something like that happens, I go to you or I go to another trainer and go, he's not doing this. Watch me. Watch me do it and, and tell me what is going on or I videotape it, you know, put a camera on a tripod yeah. and do it and go, oh, because then it's so obvious yes. afterwards. Then you can see it clear, clear as, as Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and that happens with clients too. If a client says, oh, he's not doing it and he was last week. Mm-hmm. And you have to break it down and go, well, what about this? What about that? And I watch and you say, oh, no, I see something different. It's a puzzle. Yes. And it's and just a little. Figure the piece. Yeah, and it could be the little tiniest thing. I went to a seminar once and I had my dog Harley there. He's no longer with us. And he was a really, really good dog. Mm-hmm. We, he had this little, it was, it was a canine game seminar. So we were just playing a bunch of games. A bunch of us trainers were playing games with our dogs. And it was a competition, sort of. He said, how many of your dogs will do will do what you say when your back is turned to him? And a couple of people raised their hands. They were sure their dogs would, and the dogs wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I raised my hand and went, yeah, I think he will. And guess what? He did sit. He did down. He did stand. He did speak. 
and he did back up, mm -hmm. all with my back turned it to him, and I was standing probably 30 feet away. So it's not like I was even really close to him, because distance is also part of this body language. Right. right. You know, he'll do it when you're when you're two feet from you're him, right. but will he do point. it from your 50 when you're 50 yeah, feet from him, very good or point. even five feet from him? And people, and if you forget this, and by the way, that just makes your dog look good, because I know you were surprised at that point. I was pleasantly, <laughs> yes. I was pleased. Yes. I, it had been yes. a while since I had, like, really worked him hard. Yes. So, I mean, I knew, because, you know, what, separating out verbal cues from visual cues is a really big thing to me. It's a really big thing. I think that dogs should know the verbal and the and the visual separate. And for me, it's less of an issue unless there's a particular behavior that I think is going to come into practical application when I'm out. There's a couple of things, like I said, stay down. Right. There are a couple of things come. There are a few things that I think are really, really important that I want my dog to know because I know that in a practical situation, I may be called upon to do them. There's other things that's just not that important to me to train that much, but it is interesting that when you start to separate it out, you realize that I'm sure, I, like I said, no specific thing comes to mind, but I'm sure that there are, are circumstances where I didn't get the response that I was expecting, and I was inclined to want to blame it on my dog instead of taking the responsibility and putting it where it should have been, which was right. at my feet. Right, and that brings up a really good point, is that you know when you have a dog who's reliable... 90% of the time, and then you ask him to do something, take a look. Take a look at what is different. Look around. See what you're doing different. Are you standing different? Are you sitting different? I mean, a lot of dogs will do it if you're standing up, but as soon as you sit down on the couch and tell him to do it, he won't do it. Right. And that doesn't mean he's being stubborn. It means that he it looks different. It means you need to train in that set of circumstances. Exactly. You need, you need to now teach him, him that the hand cue for sit from, a, from you being in a sitting position or lying down. This was part of the competition, too was we had to lie down on our back and tell our dog to sit down, sit, stand, down, stand. And the dog would have to do it from a lying, or we're, flying, we're lying flat on our back. Right. And you know what most dogs will do when you lie down on your back is they start hovering around your face and going, hey, what right. are you doing down here? <laughs> right. Oh, are we going to play? Right, which is really understandable. And unless you're going to be going into competition, a lot of those things are not as important. But they're a lot but of fun. But you have to come, yeah, but you have, well, because we're trainers and we dig that kind of stuff, but a lot of people wouldn't <laughs> want to take that amount of time. But what they should take the amount of time is to figure out what kind of cues they want to be able to use in a practical setting. And then remember how much their body language plays into whether or not their dog is reliable. Yeah. If you want your dog to be reliable, you have to isolate what your body language is. You have to figure it out either if you want to keep it or if you need to switch them away from it. And you need to take responsibility for the part of it that you own, which is what is it I'm doing? What is it that I'm doing here? Am I, like in the case of the recall, am I repelling my dog with the recall? I'm calling right. my dog, but I'm leaning into him. And I always ask people when they do that, do you think he can't hear you if you stand up? <laughs> do right. you think your voice carries better from exactly. like your knee level? Or yeah. Because I'm not totally sure what the leaning over thing is about. I think it comes from when they had them as puppies, and they leaned over to pet them. And yeah. so they, they would have a, you know, puppies will typically come in no matter. Yeah. yeah. See, I always look at it as they're begging and pleading their dog. Please come to me. Please come. <laughs> That's a real possibility too. I don't. I don't know exactly. They're begging and hoping. Please yeah. come to me so I don't look stupid. I don't know exactly what it is, but certainly it's not helpful. It's, an, it's yeah. not helpful. So check out your body language. See what your body is saying when you're calling your dog. See what your body is saying when you're telling your dog to sit or down or come or whatever it is that you're trying to get your dog to do, and see if you've become dependent on a particular 
obvious body language in order right. to get a behavior because if that's the case, you have got to become conscious of that and change it before you can put it into a practical application. Okay. And even, like I said, if it, even if it means videotaping yourself so that you can see. Which is a wonderful idea in these, this day and age. Thank you. It is a wonderful idea. It is. But in this, in this day and age, I mean, at one time, everybody didn't have one. But at this point, you know, most people have a video camera or have access to a video camera. And right. it's a really good idea anyway. Anybody who really wants to learn about their own training and learn why their dog is or isn't responding should take a video camera and have somebody videotape them. Because you, would lear- you will learn volumes if you focus on what you're doing rather than what your dog's doing. When we're training, we're focusing on what our dog's doing, and we tend to forget what we're doing Mm -hmm. because we don't see ourselves, and we're very visual. Right, and the thing is is that dogs are going to follow the visual cue over the verbal cue any day unless you overtrain for that. But if you say sit and you give the hand cue for down, 99% of the time the dog is going to go down. That's right. They're going to use Because the visual is going to overtake the verbal. Which brings up another good point, which is if you have a behavior that is important to you and there is some kind of language, again, from a videotape that you start to realize that there is a particular body language cue that really has meaning to your dog, that can become a very powerful tool for you Mm -hmm. to use in the future. That can become a clue for you when you get into a situation where you really need, hopefully you're not, because hopefully you've listened to testing, not training, and you're doing a lot more training than testing. But if you are in a situation where you need the dog to do something and there is maybe something that you can go back to in terms of a body language cue that's had a really strong impact on your dog, and that can be helpful to you. And you know, in the very beginning of The Other End of the Leash by Patricia McConnell, there is a very, very good uh, description of how your body language alone can mm-hmm. can move your dog and make your dog do certain things. It has to do with they saw a dog on a very busy highway and they were trying to get the dog to them, but also at the same time keep him from getting hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Oh, Not really? a car, okay. plenty of cars. Well, you learn a lot about this, I think, when you do sheep herding, too. I yeah. think when you start working with herding dogs, I know that that I'm by no means, trust me, an expert at sheep herding. And I really felt really foolish when I did it because it made me realize what an intricate dance that is. However, it taught me a lot about pressure and it also taught me a lot about how much my body told the story for my dog. It gave me another view of how much my body and what I did impacted my dog. Yeah. All right. So I I guess that's about it, which is good because we're about the end of our time here. So. so great. Our timing is just so spot on, isn't it? <laughs> it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Burheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you very much. Take care. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. And remember, you can find Doggy Dish on Facebook and download us from iTunes. Thank you for listening.